0: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of China Inc. by Bamboo Works, where we discuss the latest business and financial news from China and what it all means. I'm Doug Young, Bamboo Works editor-in-chief, and I'm joined today by Renee Vangestein, one of our founding partners, who's also a longtime China Watcher and former investment banker. Today we'll take a look at the upcoming Lunar New Year travel rush, which is making its first appearance this year after a three-year absence during the pandemic. And we'll also look at the quiet return of Australian coal to China after an absence of similar length. We'll start with the Lunar New Year travel rush, which officially began earlier this month in the run-up to the long Lunar New Year holiday that officially starts on January 22nd. The holiday period has often been called the world's biggest annual human migration, with much of China taking to the road to go home for family reunions. But many people put the trip on hold starting in 2020 as Beijing strongly discouraged such travel during the pandemic over concerns about spreading the new coronavirus. That all ended when China abandoned its zero COVID policy last month, and now officials are predicting roughly two billion passenger trips during this year's rush. That's roughly double the number from last year Although we should also point out that the number's still about 30% below pre-pandemic levels. So, Renee, we've touched on this topic before in a previous podcast, but can you give us a sense of how this year's travel rush might be different from past years? Um, you know, do you see things getting back to pre-pandemic levels? I guess not this year, but by 2024, you know, how how do you see things shaping up?
1: Not for this year, as far as I'm concerned. Um, the uh, but but uh, the desire is certainly there on the <laughs> part of a lot of people to return to a more normal life the uh, will it translate into the 2 billion trips that uh, that is one of the estimates from the government um maybe i think that there are a few reasons why uh it it's not going to be as high as it was you know pre pandemic my understanding is that Pre pandemic, a big part of um, the travel around Chinese New Year was migrant workers going back home for New Year from typically the big cities in China to the rural parts of of the country, deeper into the country, and then coming back post Chinese New Year. My understanding is that today uh, there are a lot fewer migrant people, at least if you look at cities like Beijing and Shanghai and Guangzhou, then comparatively to, if you look back to 2019, 18 and so on, there's been, there's been a pretty strong change, I understand, uh, in the flows of migrant people over the last two, three years. Part of it has been uh, people, obviously the pandemic, Part of it has been the economic environment, which required, uh, you know, less uh, migrant labor in in the big cities, in the manufacturing hubs and so on. That's a factor that I think uh, is going to prevent the numbers from going back to where they were before Mm -hmm. in 2023. 2024, um, assuming nothing dramatic happens, then yes, I think that we would definitely return to a much more normal environment comparatively to pre-pandemic, including um international travel by Chinese people, which which this year is still gonna be somewhat limited compared to what it used to be, in part because of fears in certain parts of the world and uh, the requirement that people take COVID tests and so on uh, when visiting a certain number of countries. So I think that that, that's holding back some people. And then there's still some uh, uncertainty on the economic front. So if we fast forward 12 months down the road, once again, assuming nothing dramatic happens, then we should get closer to the pre-pandemic levels, maybe even a bit higher.
0: Okay, those are sort of like the big picture uh, big picture views. I mean, what's the sense you get from talking with people on the ground here in China? Are you getting the sense that they're worried about travel? Are they sort of you know is covid behind them? Are they doing business as, as normal? Are they spending as much as they did in the past? And um you know, are they more willing? Do you, do you see them you know, sort of returning to more normal, Domestic and international
1: travel levels, you know, in the next few months. I think it's it's a very uh, it's a bit patchy as far as I'm concerned. I hear all kinds of comments. I hear people who eager to get going again and think that it's just going to be fine. I've heard many people telling me that their friends and it's always their friends, obviously not themselves. Hmm. Uh, you know, want it badly to have COVID by the end of December or the very beginning of January so that they could be fine uh, when it comes to Chinese New Year and they'd be able to travel and not have to worry and and all of that. So that's that's one aspect of it. The other aspect though is people, as we all know in China, uh, typically go back home, which means go back to the parents, the grandparents and so on for Chinese New Year. I think that, uh, not I think, I mean, what I hear is that some people, uh, younger people, are actually concerned about going back to their families and being in big uh, reunions and so on for fear that COVID might actually affect uh, the parents, older people in general, parents, grandparents and so on, who, as we all know, are not necessarily as well protected against the virus and typically, you know, uh, less protected than younger people. The third element is, is the economic element and, uh, and some people are definitely concerned about what might happen, whether this is just going to be one wave and then everybody will be fine, say, by the end of January uh or whether there's going to be another wave after that and possibly a third wave and potentially new variants that that may be more tricky uh and what it may do to the economy to their jobs and so on so i think that there's still on the part of some people at least a lot of caution in terms of you know spending a lot of money hmm. um right now And, you know, uh, I've said that in in previous podcasts, but we also have to remember that a lot of people who work in various companies outside of the big cities, in the smaller cities and so on, uh, are not as well protected when uh, they don't go to work. You know, if you work for Alibaba or China Merchants Bank or whoever and and you get COVID and you're sick and, you know, you stay home five days or whatever, you're going to keep getting paid. In a lot of smaller companies in China, uh, you're not at work, you don't get paid. It doesn't matter why you're not at work, you're just not getting paid. Right. So I think you've got all these things um, up in the balance today. But, uh, but clearly, a lot of people want to move around. Uh, my understanding is that. You know, I work with a Chinese hospitality group, and what I hear is that the reservations are definitely on an uptrend from the last week of uh, of December into January into uh, Lunar New Year. So there is definitely an uptick in in the mobility of people. Right. I mean, there's definitely an uptick. I guess the question is how much.
0: Okay. Well, let's uh, move on. Uh, Next, we'll do a little bit of travel ourselves, uh, this time going to the land down under by looking at the latest wrinkle in China-Australia relations. Those two countries were once in a sort of trade love affair since Australia was one of the biggest suppliers of natural resources that helped uh, fuel China's explosive growth from the last two decades. But then things hit the skids in around 2020 as Australia joined the U.S. in calling for an investigation into the origins of the coronavirus, which obviously was not something Beijing was very keen about. So there were a couple years of frosty relations that followed. And during that time, China informally banned the import of Australian coal, among a few other things. But now suddenly relations seem to be thawing with recent reports that China's quietly allowed some companies to resume importing Australian coal. So the the two countries foreign ministers met in December and and many people who saw that said that might be an effort to move relations onto a more positive track. Any ideas of of what's driving this sudden or subtle change in in China-Australia relations?
1: Well, Obviously, on one hand, Australia has a new government, and on the other hand, uh, President Xi uh, has gotten his uh, third term, and we have seen him actually go through a flurry of foreign policy efforts ever since, uh, I would say, the end of uh, November last year, uh, middle of November last year. So uh, given that there's a new government in Australia, this should not be a surprise at all on two counts. One, the new government wanting to mend the fences and, and, and try and restart or improve the economic relationship with China. And it's easy when you have a new government, they can come in and blame the previous government and so on. Hmm. On the other side, uh, you know, President Xi Jinping feeling secure now may actually look at things a bit differently from, let's say, a year ago or whatever. So I would say not a surprise. I'm kind of, I would think, normal diplomatic development. As always, we will have to see uh, where that leads. There was a towing of relationship to some extent also with Europe. Or at least an effort to um, restart contacts. Chancellor from Germany went to Beijing. Mr. Macron, the President of France, is rumored to be going to Beijing as well soon, if not already done. and um, and obviously, we all know that there was a meeting between President Xi and President Biden. I think that's all part of the same effort. Hmm. China has not had a good two thousand twenty two. <laughs> in terms of foreign relations. And uh, and I think that they're basically trying to, you know, rebuild some of those diplomatic channels. Okay. That was going
0: to be uh, my next question was... You know, we are seeing some early signs that they may want to improve their relations with the U.S. Uh, you mentioned Biden and, and Xi meeting, but uh, just more recently, uh, they uh, promoted uh, the former China ambassador to the U.S., uh, Qing Gong. To become China's new foreign minister, and some are saying, you know, Qin was just at the U.S. uh, He seemed to have a want to try and improve China-U.S. relations and everything. And his elevation to being, you know, foreign minister could be a signal that China wants things to improve with the U.S. as well. I mean, uh, do you see things that way? And you know, do you think we could see some significant improvement in China-U.S. relations anytime soon? Uh. Uh, I don't
1: uh, I don't think so uh, <laughs> at least at least fundamentally. Mm-hmm. Uh yes, he was ambassador to the US and yes, he is now foreign minister. Uh that may simply also signify that the presidency wanted to have somebody who understands the US presumably uh, better than most people around him as foreign minister but not necessarily, you know, to make things easier for the relationship, as opposed to potentially having a better understanding of the US and, and how to continue not to have a a super relationship with the US. I mean, these things always cut both ways. So who knows? Uh, only time will tell. their efforts, and that's pretty clear. But there remain a number of very fundamental issues on which the two countries do not see eye to eye and they will not see eye to eye for quite a while Hmm. and you know one of them is taiwan the one is technology and the third one is trade in general um so i don't think that we're gonna see a dramatic change in the relationship it may be more civil um as opposed to You know, having a bunch of uh, wolf warriors. (laughs) Wolf warriors. Shouting at at, at the other countries and so on. But uh, but, uh, those fundamental issues, they're there, they're here, they've been here for a while. And I think by now, you know, most people understand the position of each country. I don't see those positions changing at all, in part for economic reasons, in part for political reasons. She has his third term, so he probably has the right to feel more relaxed for the next two to three years until he um, decides that he wants a fourth term. Uh, but President Biden's up for re-election in two years from now, and uh, the Republicans have just taken control, even if it's tenuous, of the House of Representatives, and the politics are going to continue to uh, create problems o- over those three particular issues. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, at
0: least maybe we can uh, hope for less doubting by the, the wolf warriors and, and stuff. Uh, but I guess uh, at the substantial level, things might not change too much. Right. Okay. Thanks, everybody, for uh, listening this week. Uh, join us again for, in a couple of weeks for another edition of China Inc. when we'll look at the latest trending business topics in our first podcast in the new year of the rabbit. Happy New Year to everybody. Gong xi fa cai and goodbye for now. Xin hui nong.
1: Xin Whatever. Okay.